Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. On this episode of Big Boys Don't Cry, we discuss the classic dial-up connection romance, uh, You've Got Mail. Um, so please be aware that this this podcast does contain um, slight plot spoilers for the film You've Got Mail. You don't have to have seen the film to enjoy the podcast because, you know, we're pretty hilarious. But it probably helps if you have and you might get more out of it. If not, just be aware that the film's probably going to be spoiled for you. But you can guess what happens in the end. They get together. So um, with that in mind, enjoy. Hey buddy, you alright? Hello, how are you? Good, I'm good. You you are you're holding your condenser microphone. I am, yes. I've I've moved into a new house and um I cannot find the actual mic stand for this condenser mic. So <laughs> That's cool. It, um, how's it sounding? It sounds good, actually, yeah. It sounds pretty good. Yeah? Yeah. What are the levels like? Do I need to come up, down? No, that is that is pretty much perfect, actually. That's very good. Okay, excellent. Good. Excellent work. Well done. Yeah, I had to rummage around and finally found this. I also have a USB mic here, but when I was testing it out on GarageBand, it was getting some tremendous buzz on it. So, not, not like sure what's going on there. Tremendous buzz around the launch of a good film. No, no, tremendous buzz like when you kick a wasp's nest. I mean, we've that all been there. Buzz, so, it's what I do, you know, it's my, my pastime. <laughs> Wasp's Nest Kicker. <laughs> exactly. That's on your LinkedIn profile. Yes, yeah, it's, it, it's in my uh, Twitter bio as well. <laughs> it's, uh, I've got Social Media Guru, Wasp Nest Kicker. <laughs> Excellent. Cool. Well, I, I saw you in person only yesterday. We were in the studio with our band, but how have you been since then? I've been good. I've been helping my parents um, move house. So they have recently moved into a bungalow, but they've got lots of stuff for their old home that they want to get rid of. So I was over there and helping with everything like that and dismantling things. Any DVDs slash VHSs of old romantic films? No, they... um, All of the DVDs have already gone over to their new place, so I'm not sure if there are any of them, but they had a big old clear out of actual videotapes a long time ago. Cool. So unfortunately, there's no there's no hidden gem VHSs around anywhere. Oh, God damn it. I had high hopes for that. I really did. If only, if only. One day, the next time I'm at my grandparents' house, I'll get onto their videotape collection, which is really amazing. And their DVD collection as well seems to have a lot of the films twice. It's like they get the DVD, they put it somewhere on the shelves, and then they... Like it disappears and then they buy it again. Oh, and then they find it again the next time around. Yeah, but they they've got quite an impressive collection of stuff just like lining the walls everywhere. And like we recently cleared out loads and loads of our books and DVDs because we sort of took a look at our collection and went, you know what, we might watch this once or twice, you know, maybe, but we'll probably be able to either get it off of Amazon Prime or Netflix or some other digital service that we pay for. So you don't really need to have physical media sitting around so much these days, do you? Mm. 
I had a very difficult um, decision to make today. So um, I'm a big video game nut for anyone listening. And um, I had to make a tough call about which retro consoles that um, I wanted to keep. And I've ended up only keeping the NES out Ooh. of pre-2003 consoles. Wow. Which is a very hard decision to make. So the Super Nintendo is going to be sold. The original PlayStation is going to be sold. The Sega Mega Drive is going to be sold. Sega Game Gear is also going. Oh, wow. It's Yeah, it's a, it's a hard call. Difficult one to make. But I just don't, you know, when was the last time I played the Super Nintendo? It's been years and years. This is true. And you can probably get most of those games on emulators anyway, right? Mm-hmm. Well, one thing I'm planning to do is, um, did you do you know about the uh, NES Mini debacle? Yeah, Nintendo happened? made a version of their NES Entertainment System that's tiny and fits in a cool box and had all the games on it, and then it was all sold out. Is that right? Yeah, so it had about 50 classic games from the era on it, um, but they only made a, new, a limited supply, and then that sold, and then they made a few more, and then they sold, and then they decided to discontinue it. Um, and I kind of wanted one just for the retro nostalgia factor. Um, but I've been researching, and it seems very, very easy to make your own one. Oh, okay. So I'm just going to create a NES Mini from scratch and maybe make a custom case for it so that it looks like a super, it looks like a Nintendo. Um, if I can be bothered. If not, I'll just get a just random plastic case for it and then just have it HDMI fitted to the TV wow. using some controllers. How would you so that's going to that? be my project later. Yeah. Um, basically get a Raspberry Pi computer and just poke around with it. <laughs> I, thought, I thought that hook, might be good answer. Up to a power supply. Yeah, hook it up to a power supply, get some USB slots into it, stuff like that. It all sounds relatively simple, so I think that's something I'm planning to do later on. I've got to get me one of them, one of them pies. Mm. Delicious pies. Delicious Much pies. Much like in Waitress. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um but yeah, the reason I asked about the kind of physical digital media differences of course because we watched a film from 1998 called You've Got Mail. Mhm. Which obviously the the title and um if yeah, if you haven't seen it, obviously yeah, you can still enjoy the pod, but yeah, if you if you're even remotely aware of the film, you'll know that a lot of it the mail that is being referred to is email and how back in the day um, when you're on your AOL or whatever on your dial-up connection, it would say a little pop-up would say, "You've got mail," and the whole um, romance is based around the the it develops on email first. Yes, uh, it all eventually revolves around: Does Meg Ryan truly have mail, or does she not have a male companion? <laughs> exactly. There probably is a film called You've Got Mail, spelled M-A-L-E, somewhere. But oh, I would let's, imagine... let's find out. Yeah, I'd imagine... I'm going to take it... Yeah, okay, you Google it. I'm going to guess that the that it's the content of it is, in fact, um, unsavoury. Or, or should we say, <laughs> pornographic. Oh, I really hope it's true. I really hope. I mean, at some point oh. in this pod, we do need to talk about um, the, the point at which it stops becoming erotic and starts becoming pornography i suppose but yeah at some point i mean i don't know if there's any movies that are going to cross the line into well i was thinking actually at some point that we should talk about 50 shades of gray i mean i've never watched it. oh okay um i remember somebody reading out some of it 
to me and it just sounded so unbelievably bad the book yes yeah um, i um i read something like the first three or four pages and it was really yeah truly terrible the writing style yeah more than anything else but i would quite like to watch the film and discuss it on this podcast but i think we need to maybe get into a bit more of a groove first because you know we're on episode four you know it's still the night is still young yeah, we haven't we haven't delved into the seedy side of romance yet. It all seems to have been very keen cut. Yeah, um, I cannot find I cannot find a film called You've Got Mail, spelt M A L E. Oh, okay. Um, there is there is an episode of CSI Crime Scene Investigation called You've Got Mail. Ah. Um, and there is an episode of something called Happy Endings. I don't know if you know Happy Endings. Is that a Judd Apatow thing? I have no idea. Um, I've I've not heard of it before. It's got Alicia Cuthbert in it, um, and Damon Wayans. Okay. Um, and there's an episode of that called "You've Got Mail," um, as well, spelled M-A-L-E. But I cannot find a pornographic movie called "You've Got Mail." I also or a bad knockoff that came out at the time called "You've Got Mail," which is the other thing I was thinking might exist. That's good. I just remembered that. Um, on The Simpsons one time, someone is described as being in a, in a film called You've Got Male Genitalia, but I can't remember the context. <laughs> I'm sure it's very hilarious, because The Simpsons was always good back around that yes. time. 1998. Yeah. I mean, so this is a year before 10 Things I Hate About You. So we're, we're, going, back, we're going back to the 90s. That's still half of our podcast now. We've discussed 90s films. But... Um, I I expected to come to this podcast episode wanting to talk more about the um the the technological aspect of it and the the disconnect and how I expected to come to it like for us to just spend an hour laughing about how dated it is but actually the it didn't really feel that dated at all because I think the the romance of it and the story really really holds up and actually the email part of it isn't overdone would you agree with that yeah, I would. I was, I was. From the things I remember from You've Got Mail is basically Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan sitting at their computers reading out the emails that they are writing to each other, and that's my like long-lasting memory of this film. But in reality, you're right; it actually doesn't make up a very big part of it. Um, and what's quite interesting is that when they do talk about how they've been speaking to somebody through email, um, when both of them do this, there isn't any kind of oh that's really weird from any of the supporting characters yeah and i was expecting it to be this kind of like oh my god i can't believe i'm thinking about going on a date with somebody who i've just been talking to via email and via chat rooms but there's no, there's none of that kind of like stigma around it which i thought was quite interesting for the time yeah because it was sort of early days for for that kind of communication mm. really i mean it was it's alluded to in a sort of charming scene um relatively early on i think where she's talking about it to the other employees of the bookshop and um she makes a joke with the older lady about cyber sex um and i can't remember oh yeah she said and the old lady goes i tried to have cyber sex once but i kept getting a busy signal and that's kind of like the only time that the taboo of it is really discussed or there's a bit where they they have a brief conversation about is it infidelity if it's over email and that kind of thing? So the the idea of kind of technological anxiety that I think would start to hit later on when people started worrying about the millennium bug um, was alluded to, but sort of passed, glossed over, really, which has helped the film to retain its timeless quality. Yeah, I think so. What I found 
So, so I was expecting this film to be much more dated when I went into it in that regard. But what I found was that there was other things about it that were much more dated than that. Um, so one thing that really struck me was the soundtrack, which I don't know if you felt the same way, but it has all these sort of this kind of late, vaguely comedic score that you'd expect from um, like a kid's movie of the time. Yeah, I, I wrote that down as a note and the exact same yeah. thing. You know what it, the film, it really reminded me of, and I don't know if there's actually might be some kind of musical link or composer or some producer or something. Um, the score reminded me of Beethoven quite a lot. Yeah, I, I was thinking the exact same thing. It, yeah, it really reminded me of Beethoven. I was expecting a big slobbery dog to run in at any moment. And there was um, a good dog. Very, very good there dog. Was, there was a good dog. Every shot world. of the dog was perfect. I waited for the end credits to see if it was just one dog and it was two dogs. Oh, it was two dogs. Yeah, yeah. And the dog gets involved at the very end and starts like jumping on them when they're kissing. Um, but... <laughs> which felt very out of place for this film. I don't know if you felt the same way. The dog um, jumping up I, on them? A dog jump at the end, because it's the kind of, like, again, that's the kind of thing you'd expect from a kid's movie, where at the end, like, the the kid goes, oh, no, they're going to kiss now, uh, uh, and then they get interrupted. But, yeah, it, it was quite weird. Unfortunately, this the composer, um, a man called George Fenton, um, which is also an excellent, <laughs> excellent link to good dogs. Fenton! <laughs> oh. um, he, he did not... Uh, do uh, he? He did not do Beethoven, but he did do some very good things. So he's been doing. Um, he's done some of the composing for the uh, for Blue Planet and Planet Earth and things like that. Cool. Um, Sorry, so I should just say that things. that loud bang that is going reta- to remain on the um, on the sound there. A large hardback book just fell off my shelf and hit me in the microphone. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> oh God, no! Um, it's the the Hamilton the Revolution book. I'll put about that. Oh, right, it's okay. a really beautiful book and it's got like crinkly paper. And the book and myself are unharmed, if you're worried. Well, I'm, I'm pleased they're both okay. Um, <laughs> so not the same composer. Groundhog Day. Um, and a fair few other high-profile things as well. So he's had a good career, but Beethoven is not there, so we, don't long, we no longer care for him. Yeah, whatever. Can, Beethoven and Beethoven whatever, second. Mate. We could actually probably yes. get away with discussing Beethoven second on here as well. I don't want this to, think... just to become a podcast about where we discuss which films we can get away with talking about, but there is a definite, <laughs> there's a dog on dog romance in that film. There it's is. A, yeah. a lady Beethoven with a, with a pink bow, just in case you didn't know that she's female. <laughs> yes. And all of the pups as well. Yeah. Very cute pups. All of the excellent puppies. Um, but yes, I found that there was all of these little moments of it that felt much more dated in a way I wasn't expecting. Um, but overall, I've enjoyed it, I think, yeah. in a kind of in a kind of innocent way. It felt very innocent in comparison to some of the films that followed it. Followed it in terms of just general romantic films being released in the, yeah. around the yeah. time of moving into the millennium. It felt very sort of like naive. Um, maybe it's just that um, if 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 you've got mail was made today, for instance, it would have been about Twitter DMs and Meg Ryan's character worrying that Tom Hanks is actually a Nazi. Yeah, 
Um, well, that's the... Or that's that she's the... going to get an unsolicited dick pic, that kind of thing. Yeah, well, that's, that's the thing. I don't think you could make this film today. I mean, if Nora Ephron was still alive, God rest her soul, she would be able to make a brilliant film about social media and using social media as the tool to drive the narrative the, of the romance but yeah you couldn't make this film with the same innocence there'd be so many different levels and there are so many different channels and like digital culture has changed the way we communicate so much that it wouldn't yeah it would be a it would just be impossible to do like the the pretentious guy who writes for the um is it the new york times uh like frank um Oh, uh, The Observer. Yeah, The Observer. He would probably yeah. be like an, an internet podcast personality like us. He'd be, he'd be, a, he'd be um, a, a BuzzFeed list master. Oh, yeah. Wouldn't he? He'd be writing yeah. loads of listicles and then he'd do some kind of listicle that would help her to save her bookshop. And yeah, it wouldn't be the traditional big bookshop putting her out of business. It would be Amazon. But interestingly, the bookshop, the Fox Books, it's the biggest bookshop I've ever seen. And, <laughs> yeah. and I've been to, I work in the book trade, I've been to a lot of bookshops, but I've never been to a, big, a bookshop as big as that. There's a bit where they kind of look up, the, it's got like a spiral staircase that's like five floors tall. No bookshop was ever that big, even in 1998, surely. No, I mean, you expect that sort of somewhere there, they're going to find the obelisk from 2001 A Space Odyssey, it's that massive. It's... <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I felt like the email thing was just, it was more of a narrative device than being the point of the romance, which I think is, yeah, why it has held up well. In the same way that people people often confuse narrative devices for the thing that it being about. In the same way that, say, for example, Never Let Me Go by Kazuo Ishiguro is often, um, people say, oh, that's that's a sci-fi thing, it's a sci-fi thing. It's not really, it's just, it's it's a romance, but the setting and the devices are all based around the idea of a future where people harvest organs or whatever. Massive spoiler alert for never let me go. Oh yeah. There, <laughs> put that in the, <laughs> put that in the show notes. I, I would love to watch that for this podcast. Mm. Because it's one of my favorite films and one of my favorite books. Yes, me too. Um, so I think that would be an excellent thing to discuss. Yeah. Um, add that to the list. But I, I, I think a lot of, a lot of excellent films particularly ones that are science fiction, but also that fit into any genre. They have this kind of central mechanic that doesn't actually relate to the plot at all, but it's just there as a sort of hook. Yeah. And, you, and you've got mail has kind of got that hook. Like I, I, I vaguely remember at the time, the way that it was, um, the way that it was marketed was very much focused on the email thing. Yeah. So it's like, Oh, it's a, it's a rom-com, but what's this, what's all this stuff about them talking by email? That sounds very modern. Yeah. That kind of thing. It must have been one of the first films ever to do that, to use the, the to use email as a marketing device then as well. I don't know if they did any kind of online marketing for it to the few people who had dial up AOL connections at the time, but Yeah, just sending horrendous pop ups to come up for anyone as they log into AOL. Yeah. It's from the days I mean, at that point in the US I guess people were getting online at AOL. Did we have like internet and email at that point i remember when i we started secondary school in 99 september 99 and there were computers there with dial-up but i don't think we had it at home at that point and it was all like you'd go to the bank or the post office and there'd be a thing of like free aol cds in a cardboard thing yeah and it'd be like get one of these and you can get online as long as you also have a modem and a thousand different connectors and yeah loads of other stuff 
yeah, I think we had we had the internet at home at that point um, as dial up. Um, we used to get given those AOL, well, not AOL, but um, but various different providers their 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 uh, CDs. And what we used to do was at Christmas time on our outside, we have a, we had a big outside tree. Um, we used to put up lots of outside lights on there, and then when you put up those CDs next to them, it kind of reflected the lights off. And it made this really nice effect. So we just randomly chucked them all on our Christmas day at Christmas time. And it uh, made our tree look nice at, at nighttime. Nice. Thank Which you. Which was vastly more that. important. Than, yeah. Thank you for making our Christmas magical. You, you corporate monsters. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, she's, she's, you can see that she's on the AOL dial up connection and it had the, it has the, the dial up noise just a couple of times when they're, when they're mm. logging in and that kind of thing. And it does look very modern. I mean, they're using laptop computers. She's on a Mac. He's on an IBM PC. I wonder how much of that was kind of furnished by product placement and how much of it was just kind of the stuff that they had to use anyway, or whether AOL were involved. It'd be interesting to find out, actually. I, I tried to look, but I couldn't find anything. I imagine there probably would have been some product placement around. Because um, you'd have thought a company would want to They'd want to make sure their name wasn't being dragged through the mud. This is true. In a film. And so then they'd have to be made aware of it. And then it may well have been, well, here's some money. Make us sound better. Yeah, because in that kind of film, it could could well come out as like the email thing could be a problem or it could be, yeah, like the kind of creepy stalker angle or whatever. Or, yeah, don't meet people on the internet for a while became the kind of don't talk to strangers. I mean, there there is at one point where she where she's talking about how they they met digitally, um, and she mentions a chat room. I, don't, I think probably at that point in 1998, people didn't really necessarily even know what chat rooms were, and we probably then had to go and find out about it. But then, uh, just probably two or three years later, um, all the kids were in chat rooms, and like my parents would be like, "Oh, I hope you're not going in any chat rooms on those school computers." And we had like a, one of those awkward events with it because I went to an all boys school. We used to do like dances with all girls schools. And I met this girl and we were talking in a chat room for a while. And everyone was really worried that, I don't know, I was going to eventually have my organs harvested as a result of being in this chat room. Yeah, chat rooms. Scary times. Those, those were the days. It, it's it's interesting, those kind of... Chat chat made that vague resurgence through chat roulette. Oh, yeah. Year, where people suddenly cared about it again. But like with social media places like Twitter, um, that's kind of replaced the kind of chat room dynamic now. Yeah. Where you can get shouted out by a weirdo on the other side of the world. Yeah, instead of a chat room, it's more of a shout room, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> or an endless screaming. It's, it's everyone Yeah, yeah. Everyone vaguely shouting into a void and occasionally you hear the echo of someone else's opinion. Yeah. That just bounces into your life and makes you depressed and angry. So you feel the need to shout back. Yeah. God bless you, Twitter. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, there, so he's in the chat room. And this then... So, okay, we'll we'll get to towards the end of the film. We'll just talk about the early part of the thing. But there's a... I mostly really, really enjoyed... And, yeah, I think I think loved this film, actually, because there was a really charming quality to it. And I'd seen it before, but not for a long time. Um, and, it, yeah, it was an enjoyable film to watch on a Saturday night. And... Um, but yeah, there's a, an issue towards the end of the film that I have with the way that he goes about it. But let's talk about the the early part of the film. Mm-hmm. So 
we got the the jaunty music. It has a really good title sequence. Did you would you agree with that? Like, yeah, I would. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one. I think they they did it very nicely. It's got this kind of three D animation that's almost a bit kind of Tron like. I don't know if that's supposed to be sort of like modern and and stuff, but yeah, it reminded me of Tron in a way. It was weird. Yeah, it has that kind of like. Um, I was thinking more of like an early morning infomercial kind of thing. Yeah, where like where like you wake up early, there's nothing else on TV, and then they're showing you an advert for some for some random high tech futuristic product. Yeah, like uh, like this is this is cyber shampoo that cleans your hair and also plays radio songs in your hair. <laughs> oh, that sounds like a kind of sensory overload thing. That sounds great. <laughs> or like, what's that thing where people watch the videos on YouTube and you get tingles or whatever? ASMR? Oh, yeah, yeah, ASMR. Sounds a bit like that. Um, yeah, so yeah. I, I really like the title sequence. I love the idea of a title sequence. I feel like it's not done enough these days and if it is done it's not necessarily done well and especially if a film has one it might not necessarily open with it so opening with it is kind of a bold move in a way it's got quite kind of nice 90s sounding music but i think more films used to do it back then i suppose but certainly i think most of nora efron's films had it yeah they did there was it was more of a prevalent trend then um to have these kind of like introductionary title sequences um and yeah they've kind of drifted away from from popularity in recent years which is kind of a shame because i quite like a good title sequence yeah i don't know how you do that on a podcast but maybe we should find some way of having an audio title sequence i mean we've got music i guess yeah Yeah. well we can just describe what our title sequence would be yeah the paddy's face flies in from the left hand side of the screen and yours flies in from the right and then it's all intercut with like just loads of pictures of Guy Fieri over and over and over, <laughs> yeah. and then um, our two heads smash into each other in this horrible, grotesque moment, and but they sort of form a heart in the middle. Oh, that's nice. And then the Guy Fieri spell out "Big Boys Don't Cry," <laughs> and then and then explosion. Yeah, <laughs> and then the debris from the explosion is all like little hot dogs. And then Guy says, "Welcome to Flavortown." <laughs> yes, we just want to, we just have to keep mentioning Guy Fieri until he takes notice, basically, until one of his hangers-on or entourage or someone eventually. I mean, the, the, the six degrees of separation thing. I mean, how far away? How many people could we be away from Guy Fieri? I think you know. I think people need to to um, like, comment, and subscribe yeah. to this podcast to help share the word. Yeah, so this until is until we reach the almighty Guy Fieri. So this is a roundabout way of saying, yeah, please rate, comment, and subscribe, and leave us an iTunes review that just says Guy Fieri five stars, and then just like over and over. If loads of people do that, and every review just says Guy Fieri, he'll think it's like some kind of cool meme. And I think he likes to be the subject of memes, so he'll be intrigued, and then he'll come to us, and voila, we'll make sensations happen. Yes, exactly. I do have some sensations talk, but I'll save it until later on. Yeah, should we should we do that as a as a feature? Yeah, we'll have a little sensations uh, area of the podcast. See, we we probably need to have like a jingle for that as well. So maybe yeah, I'll try and come up with some some different music for that from the regular romantic music. Something a bit more Smash Mouth. 
<laughs> However, I have to request that the jingle itself ends with just us going, sensations. <laughs> okay. Well, now that you've done that, I can cut out that bit of audio. Yeah, just, uh, just uh, have that. <laughs> okay, deal. I'll, I'll add that, add that cool, in okay. for the next bit. So where do we get to? Very good title sequence. And then it opens with them doing a bit of email narrating and the kind of establishing shots of them both being a little bit distant from their partners, but it not being kind of an overdone huge thing, which is always the way that kind of Nora Ephron operates, really, isn't it? I mean, I haven't seen that many of her films, but there's this, there's Sleepless in Seattle, which I really like. We should talk about sometime as well. There's When Harry Met Sally. And you've got males relatively, as well as after all of those films, actually. So she was quite mature at this point. She really hit her stride. Um, and I think it's a real, yeah, the screenplay. It's a really, you can really tell, I think, at that point. I think it is quite, the, the way that the, the main characters interact with their partners at the time is very cleverly done. Um, because, again, you feel as though there is this slight disconnect between them. But it's not the kind of thing that's like, this is like the worst relationship in the world. It's 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 just quite interesting. It's always good to see Greg Kinnear in a film as yeah. well. I haven't seen him in um, a film in so long, actually. Mm. What is he up to now? Um, but yes, it. I don't know. Being being fantastic, I hope. Um, but yeah, it's 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 so yeah, it's quite interestingly done that they've got these characters that kind of like they match up with the personality that people expect of them. So, um, so Greg Kinnear is this very sort of artsy Luddite, anti-technology, anti-commercialism character. And that's, those are all his kind of defining features. Yeah. And you kind of expect him to, yeah, but yes. <laughs> and and you kind of expect him to sort of go on. And that's kind of like the side of, of, of Meg Ryan's character um, that the outside world kind of perceives. You know, she, she runs this wonderful independent bookshop, very anti-technology. It's like children should read. We're going to read to the children in-house and stuff like that. Um, and again, anti, anti-corporation. Whereas... Um, Tom Hanks is with um, Parker uh, what's Posey. Her? Yeah, Parker Posey. And um, and she's sort of like very sort of like um, aggressive, predatory in a business standpoint um, and very sort of like money-centric, image-centric, which is kind of what you expect of, um, of Tom Hanks' character yeah. in his role as like this this business prodigy. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting that they, they, and, and they do, what's nice is that the two characters do reflect that side of their characters in the film as well. So Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan, they're not living a lie. Tom Hanks is a business prodigy. who's quite predatory and quite aggressive. Meg Ryan doesn't trust large corporations and does run a sort of old fashioned business model. And it's quite nice that they did that without them both kind of like, being someone who they're not on the outside for the entire way of the movie. Yeah, and that the the romance didn't depend on either one of them kind of changing to fit the other, which is I guess what happens often in that kind of that kind of romance where it's like, oh, these two people have some huge the huge reason that they can't get together, therefore one of them will have to change. It's like, you know, I think when we were in creative writing class, one of our 
tutors described it as the the vegetarian being seduced by the sexy butcher you know when it's that (laughs) when it's that kind of romance one of them has to give something up but i guess i mean she loses her shop but it's not because she's trying to get with him like the whole thing is it the the romance doesn't depend on the the things that hold it in the in the balance in that way and i really i really like that and that feels more real and is more real life complexity i suppose if you're in that kind of situation it wouldn't be just about a, a, it wouldn't be just a binary choice between the two things yeah no it's, it's nice the way that they they do it and there's there's all those moments closer to the end of the film where they're like i could never be with someone like this i could never be with someone like that and there's almost like well yeah none of those things matter if you're romantically and physically attracted to somebody in that way yeah so which... like you can't set those kind of those kind of like goals for what your partner should be if you feel that way about a particular person yeah exactly and i think a lot of um nora efron's work is about that it's about people thinking that they have these standards and then they turn out to be different to what they thought and that's fine because life is strange like that and so is and so is love i mean yeah maybe you fall in love with someone over email and they turn out not to be the person that you thought they were but eventually in a good way you know yeah so yeah, um, the the other partners as well done, and also I really like that they both, and I also kind of didn't expect almost um, I'd forgotten they end up kind of both breaking it off with their respective partners before getting together with their own romance, or in fact he, I think if I recall rightly, he finds out that it's her um, at the other end of the email chain, um, and then he kind of decides not to reveal it to her right away. So you then end up in this kind of so there's a there's a dramatic irony there that plays out throughout the film, uh, but they both end up single or being singled by their respective partners before getting together at the very end of the film, and and I really liked that as well because it meant that there wasn't too kind of messy and that that part of it, the the kind of hurting of the the partners and the the part of that wasn't the focus of it either. It enabled their romance in the right way, I think. Yeah, and you don't get the sense that either of the relationships that ended was going to be particularly um, disastrous to end. So, um, so yeah, the Parker Posey side of it, she's just going to bounce back and probably end up with someone even more esteemed than uh, than Tom Hanks. Yeah. And, like, you don't get the sense that they've got that real connection anyway. It's kind of like a convenience fun kind of thing. And then there's that great scene with, between Meg Ryan and Greg Kinnear where, like, he sits her down to talk to her and it's all sort of very serious. And then she's like, I don't love you either. Yeah. No, that's great. And then they're both kind of immediately laughing about it. And that was, yeah, that was surprising but charming. But it's always like, you know that they say they need to talk and then it's like, oh, let's go to a restaurant. It's like, why in, like, American films... Do people always break up in public? Or they'll be like, I want to talk to you. And they're going to tell them that they're going to break it off. And it's in like a public place. It seems that seems like a ridiculous trope of rom-coms to me. But that, yeah, would you would you agree with that? Yeah. yeah, I've been broken up with in a public place before. Um, but it's, yeah, it's a weird thing, isn't it? You kind of think that's a really not um, personal thing to do. Um, and maybe it's say that if, uh, for instance, a restaurant, then at least you have the option then to immediately stuff your face with cake. <laughs> this is this is true. To, to make up for the very depressing moment. 
You know who would be yeah, able to answer like, this question a lot better than us? Guy Fieri. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> guy, guy, if you're listening, yeah. why do people break up in public places? Have, in have, has he ever seen it happen in one of his establishments and had to had to kind of step in to be a, to be a romance guru or to provide comfort and or hot dogs? Did, did you offer up some flavorful morsels to the uh, broken up with party? I I am going to guess that he did. Yeah, I might I might shoot him an email about that. I think yeah, I think you should, and then hashtag sensations yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then he'll be like, "What is sensations? What is sensations?" Yeah. So yeah, they <laughs> they break up in the in the restaurant, and then they're kind of laughing and joking about it, and then Greg Kinnear goes off to his world of jeffersonian purity (laughs) (laughs) and then yeah so tom hanks knows that it's her she doesn't know that it's him and then yeah that begins the kind of last phase of the eventual courtship which is that yeah he she he keeps kind of arranging dates with her and then over the email so she thinks it's with this other person who doesn't exist and then he he keeps kind of showing up to the point where eventually it kind of feels like he's catfishing her. Yeah. Um, what I like is that there is that moment where you think that she kind of twigs. Um, he says, I can't remember what he says to her, but he says this line and she kind of thinks she sort of does a double take on it. And the way that I read it is that after that point, they're both kind of toying with each other. Um, so like they're kind of just, playing a game with one another about like, oh yeah, well, what about this person you've been talking to online, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, Is this yeah, before or after it, the I'm... scene where he basically just kind of forces his way into her house when she's got a cold to just kind of fuck with her about it? This is the only bit that I felt, sort of felt a bit uncomfortable with it, is that I feel like he starts just kind of messing with her a little bit with the courtship. It's like he's having a bit of fun with the fact that he knows that it's her. Yeah, it's it's after that point. Um, yeah, and it's an it's an odd scene that one um, because you kind of expect him to tell her at that moment. Yeah, but instead he kind of just kind of he kind of he kind of like gives her lots of positivity and like tries to get her back on the right track, but without kind of you kind of feel like he's trying to get her to start falling for him without the contextual knowledge that she's been falling for him under a pseudonym. Yeah. And that's the whole point of the final phase is that he, you feel like he's trying to win her. He wants her to like him for him, not because he's the other guy, which obviously does happen. And that's, that's lovely in and of itself. But yeah, that was just for me, there's a bit of an undercurrent of. Yeah. It's a bit, it's a bit, it's a bit of a weird one, isn't it? Um, but obviously you kind of think like it would be better to be open yeah but... but at that time there was no context for that in terms of people having ever had relationships over email or that kind of thing I mean maybe there might have been the odd thing in the press I don't know I wasn't really paying attention but at that time yeah everything felt everything you know it was the it was Blair and, and Bill Clinton in power. You know, the economy was booming. Everything felt fine. No one would have had any any kind of worry about that kind of thing, would they? Whereas these days, you know, I've been watching a lot of Catfish on MTV. So, you know, that's kind of, yeah. that's on the brain, you know? 
Yeah, it's 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 it, the the world online has changed very much, or rather, the perception of the world online has changed very much, and people have more knowledge about what people do and what people are capable of through online means. Yeah, and hence, yeah, I was saying earlier that I don't think you could make this film now, but it holds up well as a, a monument to a more, a perhaps more optimistic time. Hmm. Yeah. So he catfishes her, and then you get to the ending. The ending scene, I think is just really, really perfect. An example of the kind of um, the minimalism and the point, the sort of narrative climax of a romance when it's done really, really well. Because um, see, she's waiting and he's decided that he is going to reveal it to him this time, but the, the dog gives it away because she knows the dog's name from the emails. And then he he's like yelling the dog's name and she sees him coming around the corner um, and then it, yeah, it's all a little bit tearful. And then I think the only line that is spoken is from her, and she says that um, I wanted it to be you, and that is the last line. And that's where obviously she confirms that she likes him for him because she wanted those two things to tie up, and then they did, and then they kiss, and that's the end of the film. Like that is all you need. I mean, some films would kind of draw that out, or they'd feel there had to be some other like twenty years later in the future they've got kids or whatever. Like no, that's it. Camera pans up. That's it classic end really yeah no i agree it's very cleverly done and it's very nice and it ends at the right point you don't need to see um you don't need to see their child um being lured by a creepy person online on a date who turns out to be um ogie ogie oklahoma (laughs) oklahoma sandwich (laughs) oklahoma sandwich yeah no i think i'd still choose tom hanks over the guy who, yeah, is basically like a really bad rapper. <laughs> um, let's see, what else? There are things that I like. I've done a few good lines. <laughs> Greg Kinnear's character, he's obviously like, um, he's really pretentious, but there's something kind of endearing about his pretentiousness, which is that when they're, um, they go to the cinema, um, and obviously they're talking in the cinema, and you're thinking, oh, shut up. You know, you're obviously like... Um, you don't like people that talk in the cinema because they're ruining the film for you. But it's like they've not even got to the film yet. There's like it's just the um, the adverts and um, it's the let's all go to the lobby advert or whatever. And the the um, the woman in front tells him to be quiet. And he goes, "There's a hot dog singing. You need quiet when a hot dog's singing." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Brilliant. That tickled me a lot. And then there's the um, the older woman who works in the bookshop. I think her name is Birdie. And after the bookshop is oh, folded, yes, yes. they're all like round at her house. Um, and she's being like, oh, should I should I pursue the relationship with this guy? Should I do this? Should I do that? And Birdie says, well, yeah, you should, because she says, you are daring to imagine that you could have a different life, and that's a little bit of wisdom. I mean, Nora Ephron was famed for having these kind of, if you search Nora Ephron quotes, there are loads and loads of things, but there's a lot of wisdom in her work that is notably absent from other romantic films, I think, and does lend it quite a... a a good a, a level of depth, I think, I'd say. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Um, one of my favourite, and, and, and one of my favourite minor characters was the um, stepmother um, character. Yeah. Uh, who, kept, who kept coming on to Tom Hanks throughout the entire movie, which I thought was very funny. Oh, the Christmas um, thing she's touching his leg. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, um, but there's that great thing where he's saying, like... Um, Oh, you're going to be late for something like like helping helping those Bosnian refugees or something like that. And she's like, "Oh, I am going to be late for something. I'm having my eggs harvested." 
that. Yeah, I wrote that down um, in my notes, and I'd forgotten where it was from. <laughs> but yeah, that's um, that's a weird line because I wasn't quite yeah. sure what that that means. Having my eggs is that like having your eggs frozen? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I guess it means the same thing, which is having your eggs frozen. But yeah, it's 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 hilarious. That sounds a little bit um, I, never let me go, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> and um, I thought that I thought his whole family was quite interesting from that perspective. So he's got you've got his auntie and his and his is it his brother or his uncle his, or something his, his like brother? That. Yeah, yeah, and it's like yeah, and it, they're like the kids are hilarious. Um, yeah, and there's, yeah, there's a really good nice. kind of physical comedy moment when he takes them. They're at like the fun fair or whatever, and it's just the the shot is perfect. It's of the they're on the little carousel thing with the tiny cars, and the kids come by or whatever, and then it gets around, and it's just like massive Tom Hanks just sitting like happily yeah. in the tiny car. That made that made me chuckle quite a lot. Um, but yeah, I thought that his whole family dynamic was quite interesting because it showed sort of like the strain of the kind of life he's living and the strain of the family dynamic that he's having to deal with. Um, yeah, yeah. And it's like, you want to laugh at it because it's saying that like, Oh, that's how, that's how rich people operate. They just all get married and discard their wives when they're, when they're no longer young and that kind of thing. And that, that undercurrent of it does make you kind of want to dislike them. But at the same time, the characters are so funny and so endearing and they're just part of his kind of, the, the comedy of his character actually is rooted in that and that makes him a bit more well-rounded as well. But yeah, there's no one where, even though there are bad aspects to their character, where you think that they're a, they're a dick. Yeah, yeah. They're all very, they're very well-rounded. Yeah, there, there, there's some good nuance there in each of the characters in it. Um, I particularly loved um, Steve Zahn as well, um, who I always think of... Uh, from a movie called Joyride, otherwise known as Roadkill, which is a really trashy horror movie about these two brothers. We've got Steve Zahn and Paul Walker, and they're driving across country. And um, they decide to put a CB radio into their car. And um, they basically start messing with truckers on the road and start pretending to be truckers. Sounds Um, like fun. And yeah, and they, they start doing all this silly stuff. There's one guy who um, is really, really creepy, who goes by the name Rusty Nail. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's like, which, is, which is Rusty Nail on the line, that kind of thing. And um, they decide that, like, they stay in this motel room and um, they basically, uh, throughout their journey, they've been messing with Rusty Nail and pretending to be a woman. Um, so they've got two different voices they've got. Uh, a male one and a female one. And they've been flirting with this guy to make fun of him, basically. Um, and they, they pull into this motel room and the guy who's in the room next to them in the motel room is an absolute scumbag and has been really rude to everyone, being like disrespectful, being loud. And they decide <laughs> that they're going to tell Rusty Nail to come to that motel room for a night of passion and for him to bring a bottle of pink champagne. Um, Rusty Nail turns up and then kills the guy next door, um, eventually realises that he's been fooled and decides to chase these two people across the country. And it's it's really, really dumb, but in the best possible way. It's a ridiculously entertaining movie. That sounds great. Um, I've never yeah, heard it's, of it. Yeah, it's, it's really good. Um, it's deceptively entertaining. Um, they also made a sequel 
and the the usual inexplicable sequel that stars none of the original cast, that kind of thing. <laughs> is it is it um, relatively recent that film? Um, it must have been early two thousands. Oh right. Um, it's yeah, it's it's one of my sleeper sleeper favourites. I think I, I randomly saw at like one o'clock in the morning on some random TV channel, um, and just immediately were like, "Oh yes, I love this film," and then go out and buy it on DVD. Um, but yeah, so Steve Zahn in it is a great little character and exactly the kind of person that you occasionally find in a bookstore. Which one is he again? Um, he's the kind of hippie artistic guy, uh, George. Oh, George. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I was wondering where I recognise him from. So he's sort of got a, a bit of a Heath Ledger look about him. Yeah, he's got this whole sort of like, I don't care, but secretly I really care. Yep emotional emotional chap and he's always he's always saying stuff from being ignored by the women in the yes. shop as the only yeah. man who works in the shop which i'm sure sits really really well with our men's right men's rights activist segment of our audience <laughs> so yeah he is the, he is the secret hero of this film in the eyes of men. <laughs> yeah uh, yeah so hello to any of our new twitter followers who have joined us since our retweeting of that swear trek gif about men's rights activists got quite a few retweets if you're here for more men's rights activist bashing we got it covered yeah it will occasionally slip in yeah you know no one's tweeted at us and called us cucks yet so (laughs) we've still got to earn that badge of honor i think eventually we do need to rename it the cuck cast though (laughs) yeah big boys don't cuck Cuck boys don't cry. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, well, maybe after like 10 episodes, we'll rename it. Yeah, I think so. As we steadily get more and more cucky, yeah. I suppose. <laughs> see, how, see how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Steve Zahn, he was very, very good. Excellent hair. Yeah. And Excellent Dave Chappelle. Hair. Yes, yeah. It was before Chappelle's show. So before before he got really famous off the back of doing his own comedy, he was in he was in quite a few films back back then. Actually, he was a very young, very funny guy, and it's him who reveals to Tom Hanks that it's um, that it's her because he's the one looking through the window of the restaurant for him. Like that scene where he's kind of like he's on the street and he's kind of going, "Is it her? Is she pretty? Is she this, that, and whatever?" And Dave Chappelle does the reveal to him, and he sort of turns around and makes this face. He's like, "If you don't like that Kathleen Kelly, you're not gonna like this woman." Because it is her, and that's yeah, yeah, that's great. Really, really tickled me. So that was that was a good showing from Dave Chappelle. Yeah, all of the, all of the acting, I think, was very, very good. Yeah, it was a very consistently well acted film. I'd say. Yeah. Oh, I also like um, the thing which goes. Um, what is it with Men and the Godfather? Because <laughs> <laughs> I have still not watched the Godfather. I'm ashamed to say. Um, I have watched the Godfather. And uh, I don't really care for it all that much. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, and it makes me feel like less of a man every time I have to admit this, because it, it's very true the way that the film talks about it. There is this obsession, particularly among men, with how good The Godfather is and sort of like the life lessons that it can teach you and things like that. But I don't really like it. I, I like um, other movies by Francis Ford Coppola. Um, so I love Apocalypse Now. I think that's one of the mm. most incredible films ever made. But yeah, The Godfather, I just can't get on board with. Yeah. Um, friend of the podcast, Adam Molesky, tried to show it to me because he loves it. Um, I think it's his favourite book as well as potentially his favourite film. 
Um, oh, he yeah. tried to show it to me once a few years ago, um, and I fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> that was also because we were very, very drunk, and it was one in the morning. Um, but yeah, I fell asleep about ten minutes in, and I can't remember anything that happened. I mean, I'll, I'll get round to it at some point, I'm sure. But yeah, that that tickled me from that personal kind um, of view. Like, what is it with men and the Godfather? And then she makes the Godfather reference to to Frank, and he gets it. Yeah, that's yeah, that was that was kind of well observed. Yeah, it's great. It's, yeah. it's very well done. So there were lots of like little moments in that throughout. You've got mail. I mean, little moments in themselves do not a good film make but the the addition of all those on top of um the the well thought out romance and the the charmingness of the of the email thing being there but not being too overdone i think yeah made this a really really great film that is still very very enjoyable to watch now almost 20 years yeah yeah i i agree um it's it's still an enjoyable movie i do feel as though it has dated a little bit um but it's not based around the technology involved. So that kind of took away a little bit from me, but I felt it was perhaps a little bit overly saccharine. Yeah. Um, But it is a, it is an enjoyable film and you're the the two leads are incredibly compelling and it does feel quite real the way that they talk to each other. Yeah. The dialogue is really spot on the, yeah, it's very, very, it's very tightly written. The screenwriting is very good. And it's a real testament to, Nora Ephron's work I think I'd like to explore more of her stuff actually watching that reminded me how good of a screenwriter she was and I'd like to read some of her work in prose as well apparently she's got novels and short stories that are really good as well yeah the one thing that I'd like to say as well is is this a remake of the of the shop around the corner or is it just sort of vaguely um sort of sort of influenced by it what so do you know the, the shop, shop around, around the corner? corner i don't know it's this it's this for it's this very old 40s romantic movie about these two people that work at the same shop um but they're pen pals who are falling in love oh okay well that so it's kind sounds of, like too much of a coincidence for it not to be based on that yeah i imagine it probably is but i think it's kind of like quite a clever reimagining of it yeah uh, I didn't see any reference to that in the credits but that sounds to me like it yeah like it's more or less the same thing so we should um we should watch that at some point and then discuss whether we think that 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 is dated yes (laughs) (laughs) but yeah we haven't watched any like very old films yet so yeah that that would be quite good to get some old films in yeah cool but yeah you've got mail we're gonna say I'd give it I'd give it an eight out of ten, maybe. I suppose I'd maybe even go that far. Yeah, I'd oh, say eight I'd give it seven pies out of twenty. Is that is going to be our scale? I'd give it seventeen pies out of twenty. I'd I'd give it probably fifteen out of twenty. <laughs> fifteen dial-ups. Fifteen dial-ups out of twenty. Yeah. I'd say fifteen bits. Yeah. <laughs> or 30 I'd give it 38 out of a 56k modem <laughs> <laughs> yeah so yeah that's You've Got Mail great film so now it's your choice for the next time so what, oh, yes. what are you going to choose I would like to go for 500 Days of Summer oh good choice I think mm. I think that might have been one of the DVDs we just threw out 
Oh, really? <laughs> Maybe. Um, but only because we knew that we could get it on Amazon or whatever. Yeah, or we yeah, might actually yeah. even still have it. It's but, available everywhere. Yeah. You can you can walk out into the middle of the street and just whisper, does anyone have a copy of 500 Days of Summer I can borrow? And at least 10 people will pop up with a copy. Yeah. It's, it's one of those films. But yeah, I, I'd like to watch that next. That's a, that's a very good idea. Yeah. A bit more up to date, mm. but still, I think we might also find that that has dated in a way since it since it came out. Did that come out when yeah, we were in our doing our doing our masters? Was that twenty ten? I'm going to say it was a, it was, a, it was around that time, wasn't it? Yeah. So yeah, it must have been either just before or at the time that we were doing our masters. Hmm. Very good choice. Cool. So yeah, there's that. And then yeah, finally we yeah we've done the shout outs. We've we've talked about what cucks we are. Um, I don't have any more. <laughs> <laughs> have any more? Um, any more business to attend to um so yeah if, you, if there's anything else you want to you want to share you can email us big boys don't cry podcast at gmail.com tweet us at big boys don't pod um our hundredth follower will receive a guy fieri related gift i'm gonna just gonna throw that out there right now so get people to follow us or follow us if you aren't already and yeah rob hits with the sensations update so the sensations update is we need some kind of strong family tie in sensations okay so we've to got make that it like the of... Godfather to get the to get the men on board. Yeah, exactly. We need that kind of tie to it. It, it. it needs that sort of like strong patriarchal figure. And I've noticed that one of the greats of acting, James Brolin, who's a phenomenal actor mm-hmm. in his heyday, he now looks like he could be Guy Fieri's dad. Okay, I'm gonna go and look at a picture. Have a look at it. Right Have a look now. at him. He looks like he could be Guy Fieri's father. Is he related to Josh Brolin? He is. He's Josh Josh Brolin's dad. Right. Okay. Yeah. Oh my God. Wow. Yeah. He looks. He his facial structure is not is yeah is just, is quite similar to Guy Fieri. It yeah. is. It, it's Guy Fieri Senior, yeah. isn't it? He also looks a bit like Liev Schreiber. Yes. Yeah. He could be. Do you reckon this could be the family? Yeah, in yeah. The film. we've got to get Schreiber in there. I think he's he's Schreiber. quite an underappreciated actor as it he is. is. He's very underappreciated. He 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 is great in everything. He's got that fantastic way yeah. about him. Um, so I think there could be some kind of thing going on here. Maybe Guy Fieri doesn't feel like his family thinks he's worthy because he went down this food-related life or this food-related career, right? Um, and maybe you know they, he was supposed to have a more blue-collar life working in the hot dog mines and instead he's eating the hot dogs. <laughs> the hot dog mines. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. So yeah, that, so um, James Brolin is the number one hot dog miner. He is. He's the king of the hot dog mine. Cool. Leave Schreiber is is the second in command of the hot dog mine. So he's the good son um, who inherited but, took over the family business like he was supposed to do. Yeah, yeah, and and like they've not talked in twenty years. He he left when he was when he was a young man to go off and fulfil his life as the best hot dog eater in the world. Um, and but then in the final thing, they in in the final round of the competition, they both turn up, and and Guy Fieri's like, I thought you didn't love me. I thought that you didn't respect me. That you thought I ate the hot dogs too much instead of instead of mining them like a good son. <laughs> and James Brodin's like, you lived your dream. All of us down there dreamed of eating the hot dogs instead of mining them. And you just took that step. 
Didn't want to hold you back, son. <laughs> Doggy hug. Oh, so and yeah, then that so gives he him gets the power the... to go on. Oh, yeah, so he finally gets the dad being proud of him moment. And that's yeah, it. yeah, exactly. That's a sensation. It's that. That's sensational. That is that is that is really good. Uh, also, um, while while I was looking at the pictures of James Brolin, I was looking again at pictures of Guy Fieri, and there's one of him. There's uh, it's photoshopped of him like without the frosted tips, with just like straight hair. Um, look that up if you can. And he's got like um, he's got like a blue shirt on, and he looks a lot like um Charles Grodin. <laughs> if <laughs> if Charles Grodin was you know young and a little bit more portly than he is slash was. So I'm going to say that I also really want to get Charles Grodin in there because it's linked to Beethoven, which is one of my favourite films ever. And I just think that he is also a kind of genius actor who's really underappreciated and probably not doing much right now. So, yeah, if we could get him as, him as an uncle, maybe there's something more we could yeah, do with that kind yeah. of family dynamic. Yeah, that's a good idea, actually. I have to think about Charles cool Grodin's role in the hot dog mine. He's the, he's the chief administrator of the hot dog mine. Yeah, the CFO. No, nothing goes through those gates without his say-so. So when Guy Fieri ran away from the hot dog mine, he saw that Guy Fieri was in one of the hot dog carts. But he was like, you go live your dream, son. Oh, and let, let him go through. He let him go because he, he, yeah. he knew that he had to he had to fulfil his dream. And him and the dad, like, he, yeah, we could have a scene between Charles Grodin and James Brolin, two similar sounding white guy names. <laughs> We've never seen between them where Charles Grodin reveals to him that um, he did that all those years ago and never told him. And then at first James Brolin's like, I'm really mad at you. But if that hadn't happened, then that would have that wouldn't have happened. So it's OK. Yeah, that's yeah, that's great. So we get a yeah, little bit of brotherly is... love in there as well from two older men, which I think is a thing that isn't explored on film as well. Actually, brotherly love between men over 60. Yeah, I think I think this is all coming together to be not just a throwaway joke, but actually a deeply impactful film. Yeah, and if you're listening, Guy Fieri, we need to make this movie. Yeah, we absolutely need to make this happen. So please get in touch as soon as you can. Send a message on a hot dog, and we'll pick it up. <laughs> Release it from your hot dog minds that you now run. <laughs> yeah, diners, dugouts, drives. And hot dog mines. <laughs> the less appreciated spin-off. I just realized I said dugouts there. Which is <laughs> dugouts. A base the thing where the baseball players sit. That's not on one But of you can get a hot things. dog at a you can get a hot dog at a baseball game there. You can. You can probably get a so good maybe, and very overpriced hot dog at a baseball game. Yeah. So maybe this is part of it, you know. This is this is part of the spin-off. It's all hot dog related. Yeah, no, now I definitely want to work in some baseball into sensations, mainly so I can try and just meet some of my favourite baseball players, because it's my favourite sport. So, yeah, we'll think we'll think about that for next time. Or maybe the Hot Dog Minds sponsor a baseball team, and there's like some kind of baseball montage. Yeah, yeah. Or, or even at the beginning, it's showing the pathway of all of... Before it's really just explained his, his history, it's, it's showing the hot dogs coming out of the mine and then being sent off to their different locations. So you've got them going to like going to diners, going to um, drive-ins, going to drive-ins, <laughs> going to dives, <laughs> and going to going to <laughs> stadiums. 
And then the final part of it is after it's been to all the stadiums and you've seen all of the baseball matches and everything like that, it goes to this hot dog eating contest. And that's where we get introduced to Guy Fieri. That sounds like an amazing title sequence. And then the, yeah, and then the full title sequence comes in. Perfect. Right there. Okay. Yeah. This is getting mapped out very much. This is getting mapped out. I think I might actually have to make like a bonus episode with just all the sensations bits, mainly just so I can keep track of it. Yeah. Yeah. We don't want to, we don't want to mess up and make it overcomplicated. We don't want to, don't want to turn this into Ridley Scott's Prometheus all of a sudden. (laughs) Yeah. Or Pacific hot dog rim. (laughs) (laughs) I've not seen that film. I just plucked it out of thin air. I've I've not seen Pacific Rim either. I keep wanting to watch it, um, but it's never the right time to watch it. Do you ever get that with films? Yeah, all the time. I really want to watch the specific movie, but it needs to be at the right, just the perfect moment to do it. I think that's the reason that I've still not watched Guardians of the Galaxy, the first one. I mean, oh I keep, yeah, yeah. I keep being really in the mood, but never. Yeah, I've always got something else to do, like recording it, an awesome podcast. It is very good, Guardians of the Galaxy. I think yeah. I think you should go see it at some point. Yep. I shall, and also see all of the other James Gunn movies. Yep. We've we've watched Super together. Oh, that's, so. that's a good film, and as you said, we're going to put that on the list because it counts as a romance. <laughs> the complete lack of romance allows it to count as a romance. Yeah. Oh, cool. Well, that was good to talk about. You've got mail. Nice talking to you, man. And yeah, but it's Sunday yeah. night, so I've got to go and get ready for the week ahead. But I will speak to you on Thursday night. About 500 days of summer. Yeah, it's going to be great. Cool. All right. Have a good night and dream of hot dog mines. Yes, dream of of escaping the the brutal hot dog mines. But also think about how much worse you could have it if you were working in the chasms of onion rings. (laughs) It's much more dangerous work there than in the hot dog mines, so count yourself lucky. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. All right, and I'm going to go and have a cup of tea. Enjoy. Nice talking to you. And we'll see you guys. I hope you all enjoyed this episode of Big Boys Don't Cry. And we will see you next week. All right. Bye. All right. Bye-bye.